Hey, this is The Debrief, a session of episodes here on our podcast to help you take the sermon further into your week and deeper into your life. Today, Pastor Eric and I discuss this past Sunday's message on Lent, and we're currently in the season of Lent. We're actually providing a daily devotional for Lent. If you haven't signed up for that, check it out on our website, faithinchandler.com. Uh, but before we get to that discussion, Pastor Eric sat down with Bob Johan, uh, who's been attending our church for a while and got to hear his story and how repentance has made this huge difference in his life. I'm here with Bob Johan. He has been attending our church for a while, but um, has been following Jesus for how long? May 2nd, 1993. All right. I've been saved. That's when I got saved. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And Bob's doing a lot, a lot of ministry, particularly with alcoholics. Alcoholics and, Anonymous. And um, Kairos in the prison ministry. Um, and that's what he's passionate about. But... He has not always been like this, um, <laughs> to say the least, right? To say the least. <laughs> uh, so this this past Sunday, we talked about Lent and this pointing towards Easter, and we really focused in on uh, the forgiveness that Jesus offers and what that means, and then it's a turning away from your sin. When do you think you first started recognizing the fact that you you were just doing wrong things, but rather doing things that were against God. I know I was really young when I realized I was doing wrong stuff. I got convicted right off the bat. Then when I was 17, I found alcohol. So now I got a way to, to massage those that guilt and get rid of it and stuff it down in there. Then uh, as I slid down that slippery slope, things just got worse and worse. And you get to a point where you just can't, you can't drink or drug enough or get enough what's in the world to cover it. Just can't do it. And God in his mercy, and I believe this with all my heart, will give each of us a time where we can make a decision to get to him. In AA, we call it a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. And in my very worst, my brain was popped, to say the least. God gave me a couple weeks of clarity where I could make a decision whether I wanted to live, to get with him, or just go ahead and die and get it over with. Hmm. I made the decision to live. Best thing ever happened. Hmm. It's God, that was divine intervention, and no doubt in my mind. Yeah. When do, you, when do you think that God began this work of salvation? A lot of times, salvation isn't just flipping a switch, like on and off, but rather this, it's a process, um, and it takes place over sometimes even years, long periods of time. When did that process begin for you? I can remember when I was in, I just remembered in my mid-30s, I would watch Billy Graham on Friday nights when he had a a revival going on, and I would watch that thing. And I wanted it so bad, but I just couldn't. I was so convicted, and especially then when they sing that song, just as I am, that's a rough one. Right. Especially when you're sitting there drinking and drugging and watching him, it doesn't work well. Mm. Yeah, because everything you were doing at that point in life was totally against yeah. following Jesus. Yeah. But that's whenever it started for you. You started kind of seeing. I 
think I'd known it all my life. Uh, yeah. When I get down to it, when I was, I can remember when I was 12 or 13 years old, my mom and I used to watch Oral Roberts on Saturday night. Hmm. And she told me after I got saved, she said, when I was a kid, so they were watching one night, and he went through salvation and asked everybody out there who want to be saved to put their hands up. And she said, I put my hand up and said the prayer. So hmm. I thought maybe that was God's faithfulness through all these years. Hmm. I don't know. Right. It seemed that you definitely ran from God. Oh, absolutely. For, absolutely. For a pretty long time, right? And it was because I thought all God wanted to do was hammer me, and rightfully so, I had it coming. I did not know or understand grace. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Totally missed that part about heaven being a gift, that when Christ died on that cross, not only did he pay my sin debt in full, but purchased me a place in heaven, which is offered as a gift. And that's, <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. good. That's a good thing. Right. So God began this, this work in you. He started with uh, Billy Graham uh, just watching him. But then you reached a point uh, with alcoholism to where you, you had gone to the doctor, right? And what, what happened at that point? Well, I was, uh, if this was in, in 1985. I, I, I quit drinking. And about two minutes after I quit, I started having a lot of pain in my side. And so I went to the doctor, and sure enough, it was early stages of cirrhosis. So I went down to bike week, didn't drink. He was checking my my uh, enzyme levels every two months. And I went down to bike week, and I drank a half pint and a six-pack. And uh, when I got back, he checked me, and it was way out of whack again. And he said, Bob, on the way home, stop and get your pint of alcohol, pint of poison and drink it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that would kill me. He said, well, don't you realize that alcohol is poison to your liver? Well, that got in. But he also gave me an Our Daily Bread. And I didn't look at it to May of 1986, about a month after I'd had it. And it was a story of Billy Graham, Jack Nicklaus, President Gerald Ford, and a fourth unnamed golfer. They'd been on pro, on a pro-am deal, raising money for charities. They came in, and the fourth unnamed golfer was livid, just livid. Somebody said, what is wrong with you? And he said, that Billy Graham jamming that religion down my throat. And the moral of the story, the scripture, I got it at the house, was that when you are in rebellion and at war with God, you get around a Christian, you can't wait to get away. And that's the way I was. I would not go near a church. If I saw a priest coming, I'd head the other direction. I just, I was full. That got in. So then I started going, started reading our daily bread every day. Mm-hmm. That time I bought that old 1950 Chrysler. Had an AM station, VHI 1330. Old J. Vernon McGee was on the first time I played it. And I understood what he was saying. Then I started listening to radio. But when you keep smoking pot and you listen to Christianity coming in, it doesn't work real well. You got to get clean first, get that head working. So it just took me, the fact is, it took me five years before I got saved, after I got sober. Five years, took me five years. And I started going back to church at four years because I had this thing inside of me to worship. And AA, we don't worship. We just don't worship. We don't Bible study. It's simply designed for living. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did a thorough four-step, and I found that hypocrite going through those doors, and it was me. 
and I went back and I started uh, started going to church. My wife and I, my wife to be, and I did, and just totally changed our lives. Then I went through that evangelism explosion, and of all things, I had all the scripture memorized because I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I thought I was saved, had been baptized, but I missed the part about the free gift of eternal life because they asked. And he even I had I had it all memorized. He asked me the first question. Had another guy there that we were going to lead to the Lord, and and Charlie said, "Well, the first question is uh, if you die at this moment, you got the assurance you go to heaven." I thought, "Man, I'm pretty good shape. I'm I'm pretty sure I'll get there." Then there's Scripture, First John five thirteen. Then the second question: If you die at this moment, stand before God Almighty and says, "Why should I allow you in my heaven?" What would you say? And I said, well, I'm a good guy now. I don't drink or drug anymore. <laughs> Taking care of my wife. I go to church. I read the Bible. Helping people at AA. Going into prisons. I know God's going to let me yeah, in. I'm a good guy. You've earned it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I earned it. I totally missed it. Gosh, yeah. I missed it. And when he explained that free gift, this fear that I'd had my entire life of death, and because of my behavior was removed instantly. Hmm. And Hebrews 2 talks about where Jesus freed us, freed us from being, how did he put that, a in bondage to fear. And it was removed immediately. I saw that two years later when I read that Hebrews 2 in a, in a Bible study. Hmm. Yeah. And the the passage that we talked about on Sunday said that the, the seed has to die in order to bear much fruit. Um, and I, it sounds like your story is that it, it it was a painful it was death it was going to these meetings it was um a lot of uncovering a lot of stuff from the past oh, that, yeah. that had been buried for a really long time and it was painful but from that god brought you out of it and today your life is one that bears fruit can you tell us a little bit about oh, yeah. where where repentance has brought you where jesus has brought you I would say this changed. Got something I've never had. I'm free. I'm mm -hmm. free. I am F R E E free. Period. Mm -hmm. And that freedom has come with it. It's to worship God. It doesn't. I'll talk about Jesus anywhere. I don't have any of that. Well, maybe you shouldn't, or maybe you shouldn't. I don't do that. I just don't do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deny Christ. Don't want Him denying me. It's just such a freedom and. With my past experiences, the hell that I came out of, believe me, there's a whole lot of people out there just like me. And I can make that connection and tell them what I did and tell them about God's faithfulness. If he did it for me, he's going to do it for you. Mm. He don't have any favorites. He loves us all. That's the way I, you know, that's the way I view it, the way I look at it. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. Your story of forgiveness can be anybody's story oh, of forgiveness. Yeah. And that's one thing that I learned in AA that I, I knew I was supposed to forgive. I knew that, but I didn't know how. Well, I was taught in AA that when you do a fourth step, which is you look at resentments, I didn't know I was supposed to look at me because you were the problem. But yeah. once I recognized that, I thought, oh my gosh, I spent a lifetime running on that negative energy pointing at you when the problem was me. Every time I'm disturbed, no matter what the cause, I am the problem. Mm -hmm. I can do something. God can do something about me. 
And then I learned also too that what really, really helped me is perhaps the person that offended me is spiritually sick like me. How would you treat a sick person? You don't retaliate. You don't argue. You love them and show them the same grace God showed you. Amen. Yeah. That's really changed my life. Yeah, that changes the way you see every single relationship. And yeah. That's the only way you can bear fruit is whenever you realize that you were broken, first of all, and you, you run... You, you trust in Jesus to heal your brokenness, and then Jesus uses you to heal the brokenness around you, to be a part of someone else's forgiveness story. And what I really like is my story cannot be argued with. It can't be challenged. You can't put any of it down because it's my story and it's what happened. That's right. And if you don't like it, there's the door. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Okay. I appreciate it. Appreciate it much. Have you ever forgotten an important event? Oh, man, so many times. I've had several occasions where someone texts me, hey, are you almost here? And that was the first time I remembered I was supposed to be somewhere, you know. One time at our national conference, I was appointed to a committee and that committee had a meeting. No one told me I was on the committee. Oh, wow. So I'm in, sitting in a seminar and somebody sends me a text message like, hey, we're having our committee meeting, why are you here? And I was like, why would I be at that committee meeting? And they were like, because you're on the committee. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I went, I, you know, I left this seminar, I was going to get up in the middle of it, I, went down to the office and the first thing that somebody in the convention office said to me is like, we've been looking for you. Like, like it's my fault. Right. You know? Right. And I got in there and I was like, guys, I show up to most meetings. I know that I'm a part of, if you had communicated to me that I was on this committee and they're like, Oh, it was announced last night in the service. And I was like, I was serving backstage in the youth service. So <laughs> I didn't hear that. You know? Right. Yeah. So you said Lent is this, it's like a reminder for this pretty big event mm -hmm. in the Christian calendar. Maybe yep. the biggest of events in the Christian calendar in Easter. Yeah. Um, so Wednesday will begin 40 days, the 40-day countdown until um, our Easter service and until Christians all over the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and Lent is this built-in part of the Christian calendar to be able to remind ourselves so we don't forget uh, right. how important this is um, on a daily basis and then also to be prayerful it's supposed to change our thinking and orient our thinking towards that big event so we don't also forget right yeah so you said lent is a lengthening of days and the, the that that it well the days are getting longer mm -hmm. so our days are getting longer it's getting warmer everything's starting to spring back to life and the same thing should be happening within us mm. in this season this isn't something i've ever done once um never yeah never oh. i've never never participated in i remember somebody who did lent stuff and i remember seeing like jokes about lent on <laughs> online like somebody said if i were to have a band, I would name it Lent, so that every time they introduced our band, they would say, give it up for Lent. <laughs> 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 it 
so there was stuff like that and I had to like look up what Lent was so that I understood the joke <laughs> but that's how foreign it was to me gotcha just really unfamiliar I remember my dad um he worked at Delta Airlines I remember him telling the story that this lady came in to, to work and she was Catholic and he was like hey um I don't want to embarrass you, but you've got dirt all over your forehead. <laughs> and she was like, it's Ash Wednesday, Rick. And he was like, what does that mean? You know, like, and she, she'd been to Ash, her Ash Wednesday service that morning, and they'd made the Ash cross on her forehead. We don't do that. Uh, we're not going to have a special Ash Wednesday service or anything. But, uh, yeah, we, we do just try to build in this time of... Uh, focusing towards Easter. And I, I intentionally didn't talk about fasting. You know, that for many people, that's a part of Lent. They will give up something for Lent or fast from a specific item um, for Lent. But uh, We just come off of 21 days of prayer and fasting here at our church. And so I wanted us to kind of just use it as a way to, to be a reminder and, and remember. And I'm sure some people in the congregation will fast from something uh, during this period. But that wasn't my emphasis Sunday. Right. Yeah, your emphasis was more on repentance, and you were able to preach a, a message, which I'm sure I, I feel like you would enjoy. It's like we always hit the gospel on Sunday morning, and but the gospel is like this multifaceted diamond, and you're mm-hmm. looking at it from a lot of different angles. But I feel like the one that you hit yesterday was like like the the most major part of that diamond. Um, sure in talking about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in that passage, he not only talks about his death, but then he gives us an application. So he talks about that he is going to be like this grain of wheat that goes into the ground and comes back in abundance, but then he gives us this application that we must die to self and that we must follow him. And so, yeah, it's a great passage where he actually speaks about his own death and then how that can apply in our lives. So that's the reason I felt like it was perfect for this focus on spring and Lent and repentance. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you talked about in that was kind of a a difference in simply lingo, just the words that we used, Christian, Christianese, some call it. Um, and one of those Christianese words is saved. Right. Um, and you said, like, that's not an inaccurate term but maybe not the most most helpful for understanding what it really means um, to be in this relationship. Yeah, so I think probably for someone who is like a, uh, has a Christian background, has a Baptist background, when they hear, hear the term get saved, they hear begin a relationship with Jesus. But for someone who doesn't have a church background that is, is not familiar with that lingo, I think to them it sounds a lot like something that has begun and end like it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's over it's complete and so what we were talking about yesterday is that the three steps we want everyone to take at faith church is follow jesus grow in a group and serve on a team and the reason that we say follow jesus and not get saved is because we want to communicate that it's this ongoing thing we are when we follow jesus we are saved we're saved from our sin we're saved from our brokenness we're saved from our shame we're saved from the punishment or the judgment that awaits us but it's, it's not that it's over and done with in this one moment. It's this ongoing relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of the, the, the catchphrase or bottom line that I, that I hope people got was that 
coming to Christ is not a finish line, it's a starting line. And I felt like that was a way that people could really grab a hold of, like, this is the beginning of something. Right. You know? And I feel like talking about a relationship with Jesus, that specific word relationship is really helpful. Thinking about, like, a marriage relationship, going to the marriage ceremony is not the finish line. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's the starting line. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, like, oh, I'm in love and expect that that rapturous idea of, like, um, just always feeling, being overwhelmed with feelings for one another to be always the case sure. in marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So most most married people aren't like, yeah, we're, we're in love, but, like, we, you're going to talk about, like, this constant give and take. Talking about perseverance is talking about something that's in continuation. It's still happening. Right. And I think with your marriage analogy, I'd, I'd take it a step further in that for if, if we just think in the terms of getting saved, it can be confusing for people that there's this moment and it's done. I think it can also be harmful in the, in, in, from the perspective of ministry. If, if we think that that's all we're trying to accomplish, then there is this pressure to, to make the closing sale mm. or close the deal uh, when the person is here and for the first time. And yeah. I mean, for me, I, I really feel like in the culture that we live in, people being unfamiliar with church, they're, they're trying to test it out, they're trying to come to understand it, they're trying to learn it. Um, when they show up, there's so much about God that they don't understand, so much about the Bible that they don't know, so much about Jesus that they can't really wrap their minds around. And so for them to be pressured into making this commitment, uh, I, I think it's unhealthy. Just like it would be unhealthy for someone to get married the night that they met someone, right? Like this is a major life commitment. You need to have a courtship. You need to get to know, do you want to commit your life to this person? Mm -hmm. And for people to consider it, I always struggle with finding this balance of presenting the invitation to people to put their faith in Christ and respond to him, um, make sure that everybody knows that they have that opportunity, but not, not wanting anybody to feel like it's something they've been pushed into. Kind of going back to the idea of Lent, there was a pastor named Ambrose who had a guy who had been coming to his church for a while, um, but never made any commitments. His name was Augustine. And then he entered into this catechizing, like understanding, basically being discipled by Ambrose in a small group and learned from Ambrose and, and tried to understand the gospel. And then the culmination of this was baptism at Easter. Um, and this is that's how Augustine entered into ministry was coming coming from being the outsider to going through a period of time where he he came to understand who Jesus was and what it meant to follow him, and then he leapt into this relationship with Jesus at Easter, and he understood that to be like the beginning point. Now, could it have happened at some other point? Probably, sure. But they they definitely had uh, in in the early earlier church. Um, they, they had an understanding of it being building up to that moment. In the early church, there was, it was very common for a lot of people who were kind of coming to a relationship with Jesus that Easter would be the Sunday they would be baptized. It was kind of felt like this pinnacle moment for them to take that step. They would go through a period of catechizing or discipling. Um, you know, I, I just had a great conversation with someone who was 
doing growth track this week about, you know, after we were done with our session of growth track, I said, so where do you feel like you're at with your relationship with the Lord? And they, I can't remember the exact wording they used, but they basically said, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't this of like a light switch came on and suddenly everything, they're getting closer to that moment. And there will be a moment when the light switch flicks on. There will be a line that they cross, um, but they're getting there, you know? And so that's, that's what Augustine went through. And I think that's uh, perhaps a, a, a better picture of how people come to a relationship with Christ. Yeah. And that's, that's that active following Jesus. Right. So in the message you mentioned kind of idiom of sorts of being lifted up. Jesus says that he's going to be lifted up. And to us, we're just like, okay, it's just like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about there. Like you're, someone's going to like hold you up or something like a child or like Simba or something. Right. But that, that had like, <laughs> that had like, I wish clear. I could do that. Like, uh, uh, whatever it is from the Lion King. <laughs> but this had clear implications for anyone in that century. Like they, they wouldn't have thought Simba. Right. Yeah. No, it was not a good thing. Um, and I think when we read that, we hear Jesus saying, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And we're like, okay, he's saying, if I'm put on a high pedestal, if I'm put up above everybody, mm-hmm. then everybody's going to see. Um, but John MacArthur um, had some really good stuff on that. That's where it really clicked for me. As he, he talked about the Jews, they would, say, they would speak of casting someone down for the execution of being stoned. But for the Romans, it was being lifted up on the cross. And because it was so common for people to be crucified in that day, I, th- I think a lot of people don't know this. They don't, they don't grasp this. The cross was something that was this very common instrument of torture and punishment in Jesus' day. The Romans used it in their conquering of their enemies. They used it to, um, to punish all types of criminals, not the, just the murderers. I mean... And Jesus is crucified because of blasphemy. That's that's the charge that's that's laid against him. Blasphemy um, is what the Jews are called it. The, the Romans would probably called it um, claiming to be king when he wasn't Caesar. And so, crucifixion is used for political opponents. Right. And so it's a common thing. And so this this phrase of being lifted up, they knew what he was talking about. He was talking about being put on the cross. Right. And then, so that's kind of on the, the Roman side of things. On the Jewish side of things, the Son of Man was mm-hmm. a, a really loaded phrase. And yeah. he basically meant human by that. But specifically, he was pointing back towards uh, Daniel yep. and the, the Son of Man uh, who would become the Ancient of Days and sit on the right hand of God. So someone who was just a human but would be elevated to become a co-ruler with God. And they didn't know exactly what that looked like, but they definitely knew that was the Messiah, whatever they understood that story. So whenever Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, and that was what he most often referred to himself as, yeah. um, he was that was like clearly going to be setting off these, these markers. Just like lifted up is always going to mean the cross, Son of Man was always going to mean um, the one who would be lifted up 
with God on high to yeah. rule over the world. Right, so the Jews who are listening to him, they respond by saying, but the scriptures tell us that the Messiah will live forever. Yeah, yeah. So who are you speaking of? And I think to them it was like, you're being illogical, because if you're talking about you being killed on a cross, but you've also called yourself the Son of Man, one of these things cannot be true. Right. You, can, you, you either will not be killed or you cannot be the Son of Man. Because in their mind, the Son of Man would live forever without ever dying. Right. They were willing to accept who Jesus was to a point. And then right. once, they, once Jesus passed their current understanding, they were, they were ready to shut him off and call him blasphemous. Mm-hmm. So they had, a, they had a small box in which the, the Messiah could fit. Right. And, and Jesus hit some of those marks in the box. But then he went outside the lines. And whenever, whenever he went outside the lines, um, he, he was too far for them. Right. He'd gone way too far. Yeah. And had, um, yeah, they weren't, ready, they weren't ready to accept that. They were okay with a, a really wise person who knew the law really well. Um, and maybe was a prophet or um, something like that, but not someone who claimed to be the Ancient of Days. Right, the Son of Man. <laughs> So kind of kind of like Jesus was either Lord or he was not. He couldn't kind of straddle this fence. The same is true for us. When, when we become followers of Christ, there is this identity that we have to die to. And that's what Jesus was speaking about when he said, when he tried to apply, he applied this to us, that the seed must die before it can bring about a harvest. And Obviously, a seed doesn't die. It's not in the sense that its heart stops beating. Mm -hmm. But it comes to a point where it's no longer a seed. It is a plant. And the same is true for us. There comes a point where I am no longer the person that I was because I am now in Christ. I have crossed this line. I have to die to that old identity, to the old man, and become something new. And so Jesus is speaking about his own death, but he applies it to our lives this analogy of the seed and dying to bring about a harvest. And this is talked about in so many different analogies, um, death and life, uh, dark and light, dark and light. Uh, we've got the, the seed and plant, but it's, it's supposed to be this stark contrast and there's no, there's no middle ground really. There's not, it's not like purified water and tap water. And it's like, Oh, this is like, uh, there's right. a pretty big just uh, there's not much discrepancy between those two things like these are clear lines like um, you can't be both bright and dark at the same time right right, <laughs> right. so this was a, a huge transition that he was calling people to not what we've talked about before like tacking a new thing onto their life yeah there's a really helpful part in discipleship essentials this book that a lot of our discipleship groups have gone through uh, that says that salvation is less like a switch, like an on and off switch, and more like a scale from that goes from 1 to 100, and 100 being like that moment of salvation. And there's so much that takes place yeah. going up to 100. And number one might be helping someone realize that God isn't just out to get them yeah. and out to make their lives miserable and give them a horrible list of rules or just hates every single person or something like that. 
Um, but there are all these steps that take place on that one to 100 scale that leads to ultimate repentance in this, this life that will be brought in Jesus. Yeah. When somebody shows up here on Sunday, God's been at work already and conversations they've had, things that they've experienced, something that they heard on the radio. When, when one of our volunteers welcomes them, when one of our people hand them an invite card, when one of our people check on Facebook and they see that. I mean, all of those things, those are all going into those incremental um, little movements of the Spirit and uh, drawing them. And, and when I think about that, I realize just how important what we do here is and why it matters and what a great service our volunteers provide, um, what a nursery worker makes it possible for that mom who's just exhausted, has had a trying week, has had very little adult interaction to, to bring her child to know that her child's going to be well taken care of as she can go and sit in the service. When one of our volunteers is out in the parking lot waving people in, welcoming, all of that matters so much because the stakes are high and there is that scale. You know, it's not going to be just the one thing. It's mm-hmm. not going to be Pastor Dino saying this one word mm-hmm. that makes all the difference. Right. You know? Yeah. And then whenever you get to that, it is, it's a turnaround. And it's a turnaround from sin and from shame. It is a going from light to darkness, from winter to, to, to spring, from death to life. But it's not something that just happens easily. Like that transition sure. is, it's painful and it's hard. Especially thinking about shame. Shame isolates. Yeah. Um, so to come out of shame and to come to Jesus, it, it's not possible alone. That's just, right. like the, the church has to be here for those who are turning towards Jesus and who are, who who need other people to like give them that hope and to, to help them realize that they're, they're not the only people who have let people down, brought pain. That's the life that we live as humans. Yeah. But Christ has dealt with that. Absolutely. And people are experiencing that on such a profound and deep level that that is the reason we have to go over the top to make them feel welcome. Mm. Um, because within they're feeling all of these things that they've done they're feeling the guilt and the shame of all these things that they're that they've done and evil would love to just whisper in their ear that they know what you did or they know how awful you are or if they knew you know and so we have to just over the top of communicating that we're glad that they're here that they're welcomed and they're loved yeah we've got to share our stories right because we we're still there we we still struggle but we definitely have felt the shame we felt the isolation we felt the enormous weight of sin um we feel it in our bones we uh, the psalmist refers to it in all these different ways i feel like in my bones Mm -hmm. it's like one of the ways that really Mm -hmm. hits home yeah like it's the core of like this this body um is my sin the weight of my sin but we all have a story to tell and it's valuable and Whenever we don't tell it, we're we're missing out on being a part of somebody's story. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then somewhere around here, I started talking about Bill Murray's Groundhog Day. Mm, right. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
For sure. Just my job and I had in mind. <laughs> I, I watched that. I, I think maybe it was on Groundhog Day. And, I, and that scene where he, like, he's just going nuts. And he's determined that it must be the groundhog that is causing this curse or whatever. And so he steals the groundhog, kidnaps the groundhog. <laughs> and is driving, like, he's on a high-speed chase with this groundhog in the truck. And then he right. drives off the rock quarry, you know. Yes. I, I remember just laughing that whole time, you know. Right. It's a good movie. 